0: This is the Horse Radio Network. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida.
1: And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 6, 2019. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, Horse World.
0: Well, welcome back, everybody, to the driving episode that we do here once a month. Dr. Wendy stops by the first Thursday of the month, and we talk driving and traditional Chinese medicine and all kinds of stuff. So, and today, what do we have planned for the show?
1: We chat with American Driving Society president and Dartmoor Pony driver Dan Rosenthal. Plus, on Carriages 101, Kathleen Hake helps us get ready for the pleasure show season. Our TCVM topic is about full diarrhea, and Katie Cadwell tells us how to drive cones like a girl, no balls.
0: (laughs) I hadn't read that before. That's a quote from Tracy
1: Higgins. (laughs) I stole that from my buddy Tracy Higgins. And for
0: those that are not drivers, they actually put like tennis balls on top of the cones. So if you hit a cone, the ball comes off, and thus the statement drive like a girl, no balls. Well, it's true. <laughs> all right, Then if Who you want balls, if you want to listen to the, if you want to listen to past episodes of the driving episode, just go to horsesinthemorning.com, Scroll down to the middle of the page, and you'll see a driving banner, and click on that. I'll bring up all the past episodes, or you can go to drivingradioshow.com, dot com, and that has all the past episodes there as well. All right, we got a lot to do today, so we're going to get started with Doctor Wendy's product feature.
2: My
1: product feature this month is Mume Powder, which Mume Powder, yeah, Mume Powder. It's a uh, it's a formula we use for foal diarrhea, and it's also a formula that we use in people a lot for diarrhea of people of all ages. And the reason why in horse medicine we use the Mume Powder mostly with for foals. It has a lot of activity against uh, ascarids or roundworms, and in horses, horses become immune to roundworms by about, you know, six six months to a year. So that's not really a big concern in adult horses, but this formula can also be used for adult horses if you have mild diarrhea. We're going to talk a little bit more about the ingredients in the mume powder in the TCVM segment. Basically, the it's called mume powder because mume is the Chinese word for uh, the the smoked plum. You might might know this by like when you go to the Chinese restaurant and you like the plum sauce that you dip your mm,
0: little yummy chicken
1: in that's the, that's the kind of plum that's the um, ume plum
0: Oh and in so is Jap- plum sauce actually plums this plum yeah it's, a, yeah, it's kind of
1: a soury plum okay. it's more really it's, it's a cross between a plum and an apricot.
0: Okay, I was wondering about that.
1: And in Japan, they call it the um, 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 umeboshi plum. I can never say that, but it's this like little salted plum. If you're a foodie, you know what I'm talking about. It's a very umami kind of thing, but it helps with the diarrhea. And now with full diarrhea, let me say this, and I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say this later. There's two kinds, infectious and non-infectious. So if it's infect, so if you have, if you have a baby foal with diarrhea, call your vet. Don't listen to me on the giant radio show and try to self-diagnose your baby. Okay, so diarrhea is always the issue in foals. You should call your vet. And make sure it's it's not a huge deal. But if it's a non-infectious diarrhea, that's just from a microbiome imbalance or from stress, uh, then that's the time when you can use the mumi powder for that.
0: Well, where can people get Mumi Moomy, which is spelled M-U-M-E, M-U-M-E powder?
1: <laughs> you can get it at, on my website, which is drwendyying.com. That's D-R-Wendyying.com. And it's in the um, holistic products.
0: Do you have a search on there? If they just search M-U-M-E, it'll come up?
1: Oh, yeah, you can just search it in the okay. in the upper right corner.
0: Well, we have Kathleen back with us, and she is from the Carriage Association of America and is here with Carriages 101. And what are we doing today, Kathleen?
3: Well, we're going to be talking about the start of the summer show season and, and some of the things that you might see out there as you go uh, to horse shows, both in carriages and in harness, and things that you might want to know before you go. So, but... As we get started today, I wanted to share with you something that I found on uh, last Friday, and it is a quote from Mark Twain in his book *A Tramp Abroad*, and it's him talking about harnessing horses. Have you ever read the book?
0: No, no, wasn't on okay, my so reading list in like <laughs> <Lancaster laughs> Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. That's-
3: All right, so here it goes. The man stands up. The horses on each side of the thing that projects from the end of the wagon and then throws the tangled mess of gear on top of the horses and passes the thing that goes forward through a ring and hauls it aft and passes the other thing through the other ring and hauls it aft on the other side of the horse opposite to the first one and crosses them and brings the loose end back, and then buckles the other thing underneath the horse, and takes another thing and wraps it around the thing I spoke of before, and puts another thing over each horse's head with broad flappers to keep the dust out of his eyes, and puts the iron thing in his mouth for him to grit his teeth on uphill, and ends the and brings the ends of these things aft over his back after buckling another one around his neck to hold his head up and hitching another thing on a thing that goes over his shoulders to keep his head up when he's climbing a hill and then takes the slack of the thing, which I mentioned a while ago and fetches it aft and makes it fast to the thing that brings the wagon and hands the other things up to the driver to steer with.
0: (laughs) This That's is, exactly it. how Glad does That's it. That's exa- exactly. Wendy has heard me use that description more than once. I Just give me, give me the thing. Yes, the thing.
3: <laughs> and just so you know, that is all one sentence.
0: <laughs> you did it very well, by the way. That was very well done. The, the whole aft thing is hard to say. It's hard to say aft. Aft is a <laughs> tough word.
3: Yes, A-F-T. We practiced <laughs> that because I didn't want to... Put in any S's.
0: So. <laughs> that is incredible because it's so true of everybody that doesn't know the names of the parts, which is me. I'm Absolutely. Everybody. Yeah. You don't have to know the name. Wendy's like, that has a name. And I'm like, well, it's a thing. They're just over. You know <laughs> what I mean? Just like... You don't have to know the name because Jennifer tacks up your pony, anyways. No, I do that Oh, now I see one of those that just shows the uh, pony No, I am self-tacking now. I can do it without even a header. The pony stands there at the fence, and uh, uh, I I hook the cart and everything.
1: Wow! Good, good job. I
0: am self-loading. <laughs> I hook up that thing to the thing, and I go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, what time?
3: So I have to ask, what color is your harness? Is it black or russet?
0: Mine's black. What's yours, Wendy?
3: Uh, mine's black. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I keep seeing on Facebook, people asking is what type of harness uh, color they should have. Um, if you're in the show ring, pink is not the option that you want, probably. <laughs>
1: what? You don't want pink? I know. Pink,
3: really? I know. Uh <laughs> We if do you're in the Barbie it, it, commercial class. I know. You know they really should have one of those. <laughs> uh, but in the in the more traditional uh, uh, carriage driving show ring, we do uh, use black harness, and we also have russet. Tip- typically, the russet is with uh, vehicles of natural wood finish. Black is with painted vehicles. But at the end of the day, black goes with everything. If you if you're not sure, you can always go with black. Um, And in all cases, your reins are not dyed. Now, Glenn, do you know why your reins are not dyed?
0: Because it gets all over your hands?
3: Yeah, when you sweat, particularly down in Florida. It
0: just,
3: yeah, yeah. it's not fun. And do you wear your gloves when you drive?
0: No, it's too damn hot here in Florida to wear gloves for anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm serious. Do you wear gloves, Wendy? Wendy? I, uh,
1: if, like if I showed I yeah, had to I mean, wear yeah. gloves, it's Well, that's required. a story, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. And then on marathon, for the most part, I would wear gloves, but sometimes when it was really hot, like you said, I wouldn't.
3: The other thing that we will see that a driver should have is a lap rope and a hat in addition to your gloves. So you do have the option of wearing a helmet. Helmets are always encouraged and you cannot, uh, a judge can no longer score you down for wearing a helmet. So I do suggest those, although I, I have been known to wear my hat when it's sunny out. and it's the whole point of driving. Is to wear the beautiful hats, yes. Wear really your yes. beautiful hat. But, and that's one thing to point out. If you're starting out, don't get a hat that overwhelms your turnout. Um, get one that's appropriate for the, for the vehicle that you're driving. Um, they really should be smaller than your shoulders, your hat, brim. Um, and you know, you want it to go with your outfit and not overwhelm. And as the and owner your, of the
0: horse radio for- network, I have to say that I strongly encourage everybody to wear helmets all the time.
3: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. So, which brings us to the next thing that you should always have with you that sometimes people don't, which is your driving whip. Um, I think pretty much all of us drive with our whips all the time. Do you, Glenn?
0: Oh yeah, it's there. Even if it's in the holder, it's right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: And that's one thing that's well worth investing in is a good whip, a nicely balanced whip that fits your hand is is worth its weight. (laughs) Um, Because it just as you go down the trail and you're out there for two hours, it's so much easier to hold a well balanced whip than it is to um, be messing around with one that doesn't fit you or your horse or. I, I, think, yeah, I, I
1: think that's the number one reason people leave it in the whip holder is because their hand gets tired
3: yeah, absolutely. and their
1: hands getting tired or their tendons hurt because the whip is not balanced.
3: Right. And in one to find a good whip, I, I know that you can order them online and, you know, driving essentials or wherever you want to go is uh, happy to ship them, but it helps if you can find a show that has a whip at it and, um, and then you also don't have to pay for shipping because the whips themselves, you can get a, a decent quality whip for about $55 and then go up to like 500
0: Yeah, but Wendy made um, me get a good shipping. one because I bought a crappy one and she made me get a good one. And what a difference. Now, I I think yeah. that was one of the most expensive parts of my whole setup. But um, it was I still use it to this day.
3: Yes. Yeah. It, but you do try to get around the shipping. Um, and if you're hauling them in your trailer to, on your way to the horse show, if you get a PCV pipe that you put the whip in there, because speaking of somebody that <laughs> may or may not have broken a $350 whip uh, in the door, mm-hmm. uh, the PCV pipe will protect your whip. And you can get one of those um, brackets that hold like a um, a pitchfork or something like that and put it onto your trailer and then put that your Whip carrier right in there, and it'll it'll travel well that way. Um, so that's that is something to invest in. The other thing that I personally like is a halter that has the buckle on the noseband. Um, I think those are well worth the investment as well because you can wait to the last minute to take your halter off.
0: Now, which thing you have again? With you or not?
3: Um, so, if you have a regular halter and you're trying to put it on over your bridle. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. So in driving, we have uh, halters that have a buckle on the nose piece as well. And if you don't have one immediately, pretty much anybody that makes halters can make you one. Um, You can get them in beta. You can get them in leather. They make them in nylon, pretty much anything you possibly would want. Um, And those can come in colors.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah, I have a purple one. Yes, I have four purple ones. I love them.
3: they they're They are a fun way to to do something interesting with your turnout. Um, and it's just so much easier when you have a buckle over that noseband. And as we go back to the show ring, here in Kentucky, we have two big horse shows coming up. We have the Lexington Carriage Classic, June twentieth through the twenty third, and the Junior League Charity Horse Show July eighth through the thirteenth. And those are big horse shows that are coming here to the Kentucky Horse Park. We'll be seeing a lot of different carriages there. Um, Some of the people that have shown down in Florida that you've seen at Grand Oaks and other places will be coming up to join us. Uh, Also, if you were watching Devin last week on the live feed, you'll be seeing some of those drivers. But uh, when we talk about starting out in the show ring, there's a lot of different vehicles to choose from. Um, We have talked about the Meadowbrooks before, which are not our favorite, are they, Wendy? No. No. So we do do suggest not getting in a Meadowbrook. But anything that's a front entry uh, typically is a good choice for uh, somebody that's starting out in the show ring. You don't have to go really fancy when you're getting started. Get something that fits you, fits your horse and the style that you want to do. Um, There's everything from the pleasure show ring. There's cross country. There's a lot of different things that you can do within the show world, um, and even combined driving, arena driving trials, um, some things like that, that, um, you can get vehicles that can do multiple things. And so plan accordingly and, and so that you can play a little bit without having to invest a lot of money in multiple vehicles, um, and a lot of
1: different shows are having uh, utility classes now, too, they right? Are. So if you just have a marathon vehicle, you can still go to the pleasure show um, and you can show in the utility vehicle class.
3: Right. And so the utility vehicle typically has metal wheels. Um, and that's sometimes a marathon vehicle. Um, at a really traditional show, it may be something that's a presentation vehicle, though, usually a presentation vehicle can go back and forth. Um, And the presentation vehicles aren't always phaetons, but a Mm -hmm. lot of times they seem to be. Um, So that may be something that you wanna look at. Um, Anything in that Long Island cart probably is not the best option for you, but a road cart, runabout, um, a dog cart. dog carts tend to look really nice uh, in turnout. Um, Traps, uh, so you have a back-to-back type situation you also need to kind of pay attention to whether or not you're going to need a groom. If you are showing one person, excuse me, you're not showing one person. If you're showing one horse, (laughs) one equine, be it a a little small one or a great big one, and whether or not it has short ears or long ears, um, you should have a person with you at the show ring. Now we've had a great big discussion about the fact that most of us drive without someone else. And it sounds like Glenn is ready to even hook and, and go down the road by himself. But technically speaking, we should bring somebody else with us at a show to make sure that we are safe and not have any problems because we're off the farm, we're in a different environment, and you don't know what the other horses at the show we're going to do. Well, Um, judging by every
0: driving show I've ever been to, they're going to be loose, running through the parking lot, uh, banging into cars and trailers.
3: (laughs) Well, we we try not to do that. Uh, I I think every
0: driving show I've ever been to, there's been a loose horse.
3: Yeah. Um, And and that's one of those things where we go back to the safety issue, which sometimes is having a a halter with a buckle nose so that you don't have to completely let go of a horse, Uh, a gullet strap so that the horse can't pull his bridle off. Um, That's a big issue. Um, And then just making sure that you judge your way through horses and carriages uh, and trucks and trailers so that you don't hit anything. Um, But
1: also Kathleen at a pleasure show, right? If you're turning out and you're in a vehicle, like if you were in a road cart or you were in a a trap or something and like, say I was there with my single horse, uh, I would tend to have a passenger like we try to pretend like we're in real life, like you right. would be going out for a drive with your friend. So it's totally okay to have a passenger. And when you stop, your passenger can get out and hold your horse Absolutely. and head your horse. You're, and that's you're totally allowed okay to have a in a pleasure show. Uh, and some people think that they can only have their groom if the person that's with them dresses like the groom had their horse.
3: Absolutely. I I pleasure shows, even
1: if I'm driving my dead quiet ones that will stand forever, I still like to have the passenger or groom with me because it's like it gives you that extra little help just in case you need it, even if you don't need it.
3: Right. And and that person should be an experienced tourist person whenever possible. Uh, And that's the next point that I was going to say is that when you purchase a vehicle if you are going to have a friend with you, make sure that there's a space on the seat for them and that they can get up equally as well. And that there, if you're going to decide to go formal and have a groom seat, then you need to do appropriate livery and turnout, which is a little bit more expensive. So when you're choosing a vehicle, keep in mind who who you have for friends, how many friends you have, because there's a limit <laughs> to how many, how many grooms that That's fit true. into groom's outfits out there um and you want to be able to have them ride next to you when you take them out for a casual drive or something so that's that's also important to think about when you're buying a vehicle so hopefully we'll be able to see you out and about at a um, pleasure driving show and if you do feel free to say hi and um, if you have any questions you can always send us an email our website is caaonline.com and there you can We have a section there that you can contact us for. We also have a section there on the blog that carries some information about getting started and and different carriages that are out there and things like that. So um, it'll be a lot of fun. And then today is Thursday, and this afternoon, I'm going across the parking lot to the Saddlebred Museum to talk about rolling down Victory Lane with Saddlebreds. So that'll be fun. And it's part of their new lunchtime series, So once a month, they have something over there if you are in the area and want to stop by.
0: Sounds good, Kathleen. Thank you so much. It's the Carriage Association of America. We appreciate you stopping by for Carriages 101.
1: Well, I'm really excited. We have the new president of the American Driving Society, Dan Rosenthal, to join us today for the ADF segment. Welcome, Dan.
2: Thank you, Wendy and Glenn. I'm really happy to be here.
1: You know It's so great for you to join us because uh, everybody, our regular listeners, hear all about what's going on in the ADS, and of course, uh, Mike Arnold, the previous president, was the one that put Glenn and I in touch with each other. We didn't even know each other before that, and so now Mike is busy uh, traveling the globe with Jacob, and you're taking the reins for the American Driving Society, and I think it's great that we can hear what's going on with you guys.
2: Well, I'm happy to talk about it. Mike brought me into the board of the ADS back in about 2016. Up until then, I'd been spending my time as a driver just happily going to competitions with my ponies and enjoying myself. And then one day, Mike walked up to me and said, it's time for you to give something back. (laughs) Uh, And so for the last three years, I've been giving back. Um, and I've been really enjoying it. And, and you've been treasurer, uh, so right?
1: You've been the treasurer?
2: I was. I was treasurer. I was vice president for about a year. Mm-hmm. Then I was treasurer for a little over a year, and I worked hard to uh, clean up the books and records of the uh, ADS, which were in good shape but not in the kind of perfect shape that as an accountant I'd like to see them in. Mm-hmm. And then this fall of uh, the nominating committee asked me if I'd be willing to be the president, and so i agreed to take on the role well, uh, we've great. also brought a lot of new people into the board um, mm-hmm. about 40 percent of the board members of the ads are new either to the board or to the position that they're in mm-hmm. and um, we're really happy with that and i can brag and say for the first time we are actually have board members under 40. <laughs> oh, that's
1: great! Congratulations!
2: <laughs> Thank you. That's a really big step for us. Uh, you know, it's a big priority of the ADS to work on finding ways to enhance the value of ADS membership and to introduce carriage driving to younger people in the United States. In and it's Europe,
1: people can rotate different. through the board too. Like you know, every member should feel like they could be part of the board at any time.
2: Oh, absolutely! We have people on the board who've been on the board for forty years, and we have people on the board who just came to the board who are in their thirties. We have drivers uh, who just do recreational driving or do pleasure driving. We have people who um, do CDEs. We've got. We try to have every part of the driving sport family. represented on the board. And I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that. Um, We have uh, new regional representatives for most of our regions, and Mm -hmm. they're coming into this with just amazing amount of enthusiasm. Um, We got together for the first time in March in Phoenix as a board. And uh, I was just thrilled by it. We had 26 people on the phone or in person for two days
1: Wow, that's great um,
2: and yeah, it was extraordinary, and we walked away just feeling like uh, like friends who had come together to accomplish something important.
1: That's great and so what are your uh what's your goals for this year? What's coming up new with the a b s or Old, uh, new, old, can... anything exciting?
2: <laughs> yeah, we've done a lot. I'm really proud of what we've accomplished in the last few months um, and what we're going to be doing. The last couple of months, we we have been focusing on things we can bring to the... ADS to add real substantial value for the members. Um, And so we've made it possible for our members to buy liability insurance, which adds to anything they may have, but which covers them personally for any of their equine activities, not just driving. Um, We've added something that I don't think anybody else has, which is a injury and health insurance uh, policy for anyone at an ADS event, whether that is a comp competitor, a volunteer, an official, an organizer, anybody who's a member of the ADS is covered oh, that's and super. for anything that happens to them at the event or on their way to the event. Uh, it's in wow. addition to any health insurance they have, but it's a really great thing to have.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and we're very proud that we've got that. Um, and we've been working on education. I think that's that's another place where the ADS has really put some value into the membership this year. Uh, our uh, education chairman is Donna Bright, who mm-hmm. is vice president of the ADS as well, and fond of saying that she's the designated survivor. In the event that something happens to me. Uh, and She has uh, started a... Education section on our website that includes a lot of videos, some that we made ourselves about how to harness and put to and how to how to work your animals. A lot of material on competition, a lot of material on recreational driving. Uh, It is really becoming quite robust. That's super. Each of our committees has committed to giving us something every two months to put on the page. And so by the time we get to the end of this year, I think our educational section will be really substantial.
1: Oh, that's uh, great. Will- I think that's why the number one people reason people go, you know, they go to find out more about driving and they it's it's not like riding. We're riding. There's so much information about how to do it and you can find anybody locally to help you. But sometimes there's not a big driving community where you are and you need some help.
2: Yeah, it's tough. We got a letter. About two and a half or three months ago from a woman in Alaska who wrote to me and said, you know, I live in Alaska and I right. drive a carriage and I feel very alone up here. Yeah. And I was actually able to hook her up with the other three Alaskans who drive.
1: Oh, good.
2: <laughs> or anyway, the other three that are members of the ADS. And it turns out they all live within reasonable distance of each other. And I'm not talking Alaska distance, real distance. Right. And they got together and wrote us a whole article about what it's like to drive in Alaska. Oh,
1: fantastic. And the
2: special circumstances about drive. And we put it in the whip. Oh, and great. we're very proud of our Alaskan friends. And you're absolutely right. It's tough to find. We're small as a sport right. in the United States. Um, and it's tough to find people who can teach you. Um, but I think that the, the one of the great things about driving folks is that they're willing to talk and
0: they're mm-hmm. willing
2: to share. And while we compete with each other at competitions, we share with each other the rest of the time. Uh, That's true. I continually see people offering information and support and answers to questions without being too snarky. On social media, um, <laughs> you know, there's a beginner page on Facebook, which is called uh, Beginner Carriage Driving Beginners or Beginner Carriage Driving, and oh, it's a discussion. We keep it really friendly. Um, it's um, what's the right word? Mediated, administered by Jessica oh, Axelson. Um, Jessica is one of our young. Is probably the youngest driving judge in the United States. She's a pleasure driving judge. And a new member of our board, and she works really hard to drive out any kind of trolly behavior and to make sure that people are are getting real support. And I constantly see professionals and board members and teachers commenting and helping people just with simple questions about how they can teach their equine, how they can get help. Um, I've learned a lot from it myself, and I've been driving for a fairly long time.
1: Well, Dan, um, how can people find out more about the ADS?
2: Well, the simplest thing, of course, is to go to the website um, or to look at our Facebook stuff. Uh, AmericanDrivenSociety.org. Right. And our Facebook name is the same. We also have a YouTube channel, which has a lot of instructional material and a... I'm not sure what you call a sub-channel, so I'm just going to call it that. <laughs> a sub-channel that I created, that I uh, run, which oh, is great. called Members Videos, We Are the ADS. And there are about 60 videos there that people have given me to put on YouTube, and you can watch your, uh, we can watch us all make fools of themselves. I actually put a video of myself knocking over 12 balls in a coach course. <laughs> um, I, admit well, it was I don't accident. believe that. They must have <laughs> no, set the cones did. wrong. it wasn't my best day it was my first (laughs) time with four ponies I'd never taken a four in hand through a codes course and as it turned out I didn't really uh, but it was fun so I put it up there oh I can't wait to watch that I'm excited keep looking at the Facebook pages and keep looking at the website and uh, I urge your listeners to to stay in touch and to reach out to me or to our executive director Abby Trexler uh, if there's any way we can be helpful
1: All right, great. Well, thanks so much, Dan. You'll have to come back and join us again to tell us more about all the happenings going on, and we'll have to laugh about all these videos on your YouTube
2: channel. (laughs) Okay, I look forward to it.
0: Well, now it's time for Dr. Wendy Ying's traditional Chinese veterinary medicine segment. And if you had told me 11 years ago when I was working in the professional world that I would be standing up in my bedroom at my microphone talking to one of my best friends in the whole world about diarrhea... Uh, and getting paid for it, I would have said you were nuts. But <laughs> today, that is what I'm doing. I'm here. I'm standing up in my li- my secondary bedroom. I got my microphone. I got my screens. And I have Dr. Wendy Ying, one of my best friends, and we're talking diarrhea.
1: Well, Glenn, diarrhea is big business <laughs> yes. in all animals and people.
0: Yes, it is.
1: You know, I think it's actually a bigger business in... Than- People, people and dogs because I horses aren't in a house. lot of money
0: on a over the years so i know what you mm-hmm. i know exactly how big a business right. it is
1: but in horses you know they're outside so you don't always know they have diarrhea but we're gonna talk since it's spring i thought we should do a little baby show so we'll talk about foals
0: now do you, obviously foal every foal we've ever had and we've had a few over the years has gotten diarrhea at one point or another
1: I know that's why I'm that's why I'm talking yeah. that's why I picked this topic. But I'll I haven't seen it diarrhea. as much
0: in adults, you know, in adult horses as it Right,
1: used to. And that's because like foals are born, right? And yes, they're born ready to run and stand up like that day, but mm. they're still developing in their body. Like you know, when babies baby foals are born, they have to drink the colostrum from the mommy, right? They have to get the antibodies from the mommy into their tummy. And so their gut is not a hundred percent developed because antibodies are great big proteins. So they still have kind of big gaps in their tummy, right? And that's the pathogenesis of irritable bowel syndrome, right? They say leaky gut syndrome. The things are leaking out of the inside of your gut into your body. So babies have to have leaky gut syndrome when they're born to get the antibodies into their bloodstream. But then those that uh their intestines stop being able to absorb antibodies that 's why they have to get the colostrum early on, like in the first few hours but then still their their stomach lining uh, is not as thick as an adult horse their stomach li- lining is still developing and but babies are quite capable of secreting the same amount of acid of stomach acid to digest their food as adult horses. So, um, you know how we say just some people and in horses going a long time without eating your stomach gets real acidy, right? So if you have this tiny little sensitive baby tummy and you're not nursing frequently enough, uh, you can get stomach ulcers cause your stomach gets too acidy. So, um, with babies, the top two things that they, the top two reasons that they get diarrhea is ulcers and parasites, right? And, you know, it's interesting because people don't think about it a lot. And, and like, I don't know, Glenn, if you and Jennifer have had babies, yeah, have you have had a few, baby Yeah, folds? quite a few,
0: yep.
1: Um... Oh yeah, you just said that about the diarrhea, but we, but you don't think about your baby having ulcers, right? You think no, about if like face horses. Baby,
0: how can it have ulcers?
1: Well, actually, uh, the prevalence of ulcers in foals is about fifty really? percent. So one in two foals usually has some degree of ulcers.
0: Uh, And Why did they get ulcers? All they had to do was lay around for 11 months.
1: Because I just
0: (laughs) explained it. Because
1: You're (laughs) failing on your job. (laughs) I wrote it right here. Glenn will pretend to be interested and you're not (laughs) listening at all. (laughs) So they have a skinny, like a thin, undeveloped stomach lining and they're producing a lot of hydrochloric acid, which is the acid our body produces to digest our food. Hmm. Okay? So those lead to... Uh, 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 that leads to having stomach ulcers when your stomach is too acidy. Also, the milk is very um, basic, right? So the, if they say your stomach is all acidy because you haven't eaten for a while, and then the baby drinks the milk, the milk will neutralize the acid and make the stomach a more neutral pH. So if your baby goes off feed for some reason, or the mommy doesn't let a nurse uh sometimes we see stomach ulcers or like at weaning time. When you're trying to wean the baby from the full, they're not eating as much, they're stressed out.
0: Um, yeah, that I can see. Yep, I can yeah. see that, yeah.
1: You know, another thing is babies are exposed to a ton of bacteria, right? So when your baby full gets diarrhea, if it's just mild, that's no big deal. But sometimes it can get more intense. And if you should always take their temperature when they have diarrhea because if they have a fever there's probably an infectious form of diarrhea like you know they could have uh salmonella rhodococcus like all the baby diarrhea things so that's when you should take their temperature and you really need to deal with your veterinarian with that because diarrhea can turn deadly in foals also they can get dehydrated you know, when they're losing a lot of fluid Do they life.
0: always have a temperature increase with diarrhea or just when it's a... No, no, no.
1: Uh, usually if it's just from stress or ulcers or parasites, they won't have a temperature. Got it. So okay. that's why it's good to be able to take your baby's If they have the
0: temperature, then you definitely get on the phone. Yeah.
1: yeah. You should call talk to your vet anyways. Remember, don't <laughs> diagnose don't yourself based on the podcast. But fever is a big issue. If your baby has a fever, you have to call your vet.
0: Now, babies' fevers get as high as adult fevers, or any fever in a baby. You want to
1: any fever in a baby. You yeah. want to call your vet because they're so little. They're they're babies. They can turn bad really quickly.
0: And and, so, and because they're oh. brand new, are, they're getting exposed to all of these bacteria and things for the first time. Is more likely to make them sick because their immune system isn't fully. Yeah, developed because yet?
1: They, they don't have a very strong immune system, and the way our immune system deals with things, like the mommy. Uh, makes antibodies, right? Like I told you about with the colostrum and gives it to the baby, but say the mommy wasn't exposed. Like a lot of uh, horses go and foal out somewhere else, right? And then come home. So the mommy might not have the antibodies to, to what your baby's getting when they come home or the mommy might make antibodies to what she gets at the, at the falling out facility, and that may or may not be the same thing that you have at home.
0: Mm,
1: okay. And just like with parasites, sometimes we don't think about the immune system and how that relates to parasites, right? We just like, oh, my horse has worms, I have to deworm it. But horses, you know, eat grass 24-7. So horses pick up a lot of parasites. There are a lot of commensal parasites that live with our horses. And the immune system in our horses helps keep those parasites at a level where they do no damage to the body. But when the babies are young, they're experiencing these parasites for the first time. They get, they can get some off the pasture. They can get some, there's some that they can get through the milk of the mommy. And, um, but the, but the serious parasite that we have in horses is ascarids or roundworms, which we also have those in people. And the thing about roundworms is they can be big, you know, they sometimes you might see like a big white worm come out of your baby's poop and that's a roundworm. They can be up to like 25 centimeters long and like a half a centimeter wide. That's a great big worm. And if a baby is full of roundworms, it can cause intestinal obstruction. So that's why we have a really aggressive deworming schedule for foals. You know, you should start deworming your foals when they're, you know, just a couple weeks old, and you should discuss with your veterinarian your worming schedule throughout the time from baby to two years old, because that's going to be totally different than the way you're going to deworm your adult horses. Okay. Um, And then, uh, so those issues are why, the mume powder formula is really good for babies. Remember, I talked about the mume powder earlier in yes, the show. Yep. So the four ingredients in and made mume powder, out of
0: Japanese plums that are burnt to death.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so mume is the first ingredient, and that is smoked plum. So it's a plum, and sometimes in the in the formula we do immature plum, and it's smoked black, and then it turned it into a powder. And in Japan, these kind of plums are pickled, and they're called Uma and Boshi plums. I'm probably, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. My sister's gonna be like, whatever. You can't speak <laughs> Japanese. I can't. But um, so those those plums, these plums are used in lots of different foods. They make wine out of them and different drinks, and they're real salty and they're really really sour. And you know, if you listened to the Chinese medicine uh, segment before, we talk about the. Uh, In food therapy, we talk about the different tastes of foods. So sour taste is like astringent. You know, like if you bit a lemon, your mouth would like, you'd you'd like squeeze up your mouth. And so it has a contracting effect on your tissues. So we use astringent taste to stop diarrhea. It's supposed to make flaccid tissues more contracted. And also sour is involved with the wood element. That's really good because the wood element is, you know, part of stress and liver cheese stagnation. So sour taste helps that. And then this mume is also salty. And salty things we know purge the bowel, right? Because you have salt in the intestines and it helps get things out. Uh, Also, it increases the appetite. So that can also help like I said, if the baby is not eating, if you have ulcers, you know, sometimes you don't want to eat. If the baby goes off milk or food, then it's just going to be a positive feedback cycle for ulcers. So increasing the appetite is is uh, a way to do that. Anybody that's been to the bar eating pretzels knows that uh, salty foods increase your uh, desire for more food and drink. Um, and then especially the modern, res- <laughs> yeah, especially beer, modern research for mume um, has shown that it does have antibacterial action. Uh, there's a lot of uh, research right now in Japan using mume paste for dental disease for gingivitis and uh, also has anti-ulcer action. It actually has shown activity against Helicobacter pylori, which is the bacteria in people's Um, tummy that causes uh, ulcers. In horses, foals have a bacteria called Helicobacter equorum. And that actually is interesting because we only see it in foals less than six months old. We haven't shown a correlation between ulcers and that bacteria, but that is a thought about that because it does cause that in people. We know that for a fact. And then the best thing about The mume is, it causes a flaccid paralysis of the roundworms. So the reason you want them to be flaccid, there are some dewormers we give that causes them to spasm, but you want them to be flaccid so that they're easily passed. If the worms all spasm, you can just imagine like this big knot of spasming worms and it can cause an intestinal obstruction. I know, isn't this a great
0: show? Yeah. That's great. Spazzling okay, so worms. That's just what I want to find. <laughs> I in know. My I
1: love. Baby. I love these. <laughs> so then, the other uh, ingredients in there is hezi, which is called chibula, or it's also called terminalia fruit. And I don't do Ar- Ayurvedic medicine, but it's this hizi uh, is actually the, called the king of medicine in Ayurvedic medicine, which is Indian medicine. And that's because uh, they say it does everything, which it does have a lot of actions. It's like that. And it has many tastes. It's sour and astringent. So it does all the things that we talked about with the Mei, But it also is bitter. And bitter enters the fire element, which the fire element is the heart and the small intestine. So small intestine, right? We have these small intestines, uh, these worms living in the small intestine. But uh, when it goes into the heart, it can reduce stress. So calm the shen. And it also can reduce um, infection. But interestingly enough, uh, Terminalia fruit has shown to regulate the gut motility. Like you know how your tummy is doing this, your intestines are doing peristalsis, which is like that uh, contraction that helps things move through your stomach. And when you have like stomach pain, or if you have diarrhea, sometimes it's contracting too much or your peristalsis gets out of whack and you can get impactions. So this helps regulate your GI motility. Or in Chinese medicine, we would call it regulate your flow of qi. So some of the other ingredients in mume powder are uh, coptis and turmeric. So those are both anti-inflammatory and antibacterial. We've talked about them a lot on the show. But this is a great balanced formula that is, uh, it doesn't have a ton of herbs to overwhelm the baby, but it has a lot of positive, um, positive actions that can really help. So if you have any more questions about that, you can check out my blog at drwendyying.com, and you can just search for Mume Powder. Well, I'm so happy to have Kitty Cadwell back on for her Tremont Farm Training Session. And this month, we have a question from listener Noreen Miller, and she wants to know how she can practice cones at home to improve her time and accuracy. So welcome, Katie. Let's hear about cones. Yeah, we love cones. I know. Cones are the best part of combined driving, I think.
4: But it can be the most stressful. Oh, it absolutely is the most stressful, but it really trains you to drive straight and drive accurately, and you can really know if you have your horse. Bending correctly and not falling through the turns. And now cones in combined driving. We have three phases. We have dressage,
1: which is like regular dressage, but we're in the carriage. And then we have marathon, which is like the cross-country phase of uh, eventing in the carriage. And then cones is like the show jumping phase. So all of the things that you can have wrong go have go wrong in show jumping are the same things that can happen in cones,
4: right? Exactly. And you end up at a show with a horse that's more tired and maybe not as responsive to your bending. So we need to train at home so that we're prepared for that situation. So what uh, what are some ways people can do that? So first of all, we put cones around everywhere. In our dressage ring, there are a few cones marking out a circle. And the horses need to learn that Cones is just a natural part of life. You don't get faster when you see them. You don't shy away from them. It's just something that they'll always have around. It's like doing dressage, but with some cones in the way. And the best cones courses will always look calm, quiet, and like a dressage test. Yeah, because sometimes
1: if people don't have cones at home and they only train, like say they only do cones when they're at a show, then you can train the horse to be like, oh, I have to rush when I get into cones.
4: Yes, it can make them crazy, but we want them to be as soft and light as you have them in the dressage ring and as much bending and sitting in the outside rein as we have in the dressage test in every corner. We want to feel that also for the flow of the course, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people think they've made our speeds much faster now. and A lot of people think, well, Mm -hmm. that means I just have to go really, really fast. But to me, We need to train our eye to go straight and smooth and get our bend first. And then the speed will come up naturally. You can't do it the opposite direction. We can't just like race around because that eventually will backfire on us.
1: You know, I totally agree with that. And I think, uh, also sometimes people feel like they should drive cones the way they drive marathon, but on marathon, you have eight feet in between most of your gaps you know, so you can be a little bit rough and ready when you're doing marathon, but in cones, it takes a lot of finesse. You have to, like you said, be sure you're on a straight line. The worst feeling is when you're wiggling on your way to a cone that, you know, is like, well, what are what are the width of cones for advanced now? Aren't there 10 centimeter
4: cones? 20 centimeters. And then they have skinnies, which are at 15 centimeters. 15. So you need to be very accurate, straight and flowing, very accurate. That what you're talking about, the wobble. You have to lose that wobble because the horse needs to be taking you forward through the cone.
1: Yeah. Um. So I think also if you're a rider going into driving or even if, uh, like I remember, Alan Olson, when I went from singles to pairs, Alan said, Wendy, it's farther than you think. And it was like I had to train my eye to think about where I was going to turn because I was sitting in a different position when I went from a two-wheel carriage to the four-wheel pair carriage because I was turning too early and I was running over my cones.
4: Yeah, you always need to wait a beat through the cone. Don't turn too early. And that's a, you know, that's a matter of practice, learning where that timing is, how tight you can turn on the cone. It's actually really, I know people say that a two wheel sometimes they feel is easier. A four wheel is much easier because yeah. your turning base is so good. And also now the marathon, ca- I mean, the presentation carriages have narrower front wheels. So you yeah. really only need to worry about your back wheels. But right. it's all in training. And what we do is we, we set up grids just like a jumping horse, we have mm-hmm. exercises. Um, that we work on with our horses until it just flows and you can go straight and easy and then you can learn to take the speed up and take the speed up. But you first have to be able to drive straight.
1: So what kind of grid would you set? Like, what's your basic setup?
4: So a really good one, even just to start with, is like a serpentine because everybody struggles with a serpentine. Right. Everybody does. So I always hit the third one. I always hit C. Exactly exactly so what we do is we line up five cones because then that brings you in from each direction a different way right you step left and you step right instead of the same way set them up 11 meters apart line up the back of the cones set up a proper serpentine so you can learn the timing and the key to the serpentine there are two keys one is i'm going to tell you guys the secrets now okay line up a and c don't come in lining up a and b Line up A and C so that you get in straight and then step over. Don't try to angle because if you're, otherwise you'll hit the third or the fourth cone because all of a sudden you get in too deep. If you come in on an angle. It it goes all horribly wrong by C if you come in trying to cheat with A and B. Exactly. You want to line up A and C. And then the other thing about the serpentine is think push, don't pull. So instead of thinking, I'm going to, if you if you're going stepping to the right you do, you don't think oh, I pull my right rein and pull them to the right. I want you to think my right rein's my outside and I'm going to push them that direction. Mm-hmm. Because then it makes much less of a move and the horse can essentially leg yield a little bit and then flow through the cone and then leg yield a little bit and it makes it go much smoother and much easier on the horse. They understand what you're asking.
1: Yeah, so you kind of imagine you're just leg yielding over, like say you go through the first cone, you're going to leg yield them over push, to the next cone, right? Push, don't pull. Push, don't pull, and then you go back to the third and fourth, fifth and fifth cone. Wow,
4: that makes it hard. Yeah. If you do the so we play one, a game with ourselves. Yeah. We play a game with ourselves. We we You drive the five cones and then you make a light bulb and come back through the five cones make a light bulb, drive through the five cones and you go until you knock one down. You just keep going because the serpentine, we can teach ourselves the timing of it. Mm -hmm. They're set at 11 meters. We know, you know, we can, the meters are published so we can figure out exactly how, and you can learn the timing of it because serpentines are really timing.
1: Yeah. It's like a related distance on your jumps, like an in and out.
4: It is exactly the same thing. Wendy.
1: So, um, and, and every cones course, there's a serpentine. So you, if you learn that you save yourself four balls right there, right?
4: Right. Sometimes we'll have three serpentines. I know (laughs) so bad. I did reason back once. Number one was a serpentine. Then you, you turned back to another serpentine and then you turned to another serpentine.
1: Don't you also think if you feel confident in your serpentines, you don't have that like freak out factor, like. When you started yeah. with serpentine as your cone one, if you're not a hundred percent confident, then you're already starting out like behind the eight ball.
4: Well, if you get into cones and you start getting nervous, right, then you round your shoulders and pull your arms back, you lose the forward momentum. The forward mm-hmm. momentum will carry you through the curve, just like a race car. Yeah. So if you think about it that way, that you want to keep the flow and the forward, then you can flow through the cones instead of pulling back, which what does that cause? The wobble. Oh,
1: the wobble.
4: The wobble is is not our friend.
1: Yes. Now, um, if say you have a baby horse and you're starting out with these grid cones, how, uh, would you approach that any differently with the baby horse?
4: So I like with the babies just, that while you're out working, while you're in the ring, that you just come along some cones. So another great grid is to set up almost like a box. And then you work it like a cloverleaf. You say to Mm -hmm. yourself, okay, I am only going to come from the inside out. So you angle in the corner, do the cone, and then you go around a big circle and then angle in and do the, and then you can do it the opposite way. It's all just games that we play with ourselves. So we set up the four cones in essentially a box, leaving enough room in the corners to get in. Mm-hmm. And what we can do is, I can—I'll put up drawings of this on our website so people can go find them. Yeah, and we—and you just drive it like a cloverleaf pattern, right? Inside out or outside in, and that's a super good one because you can skip two cones, you can skip three cones, you can make it as big or as tight as you want, and the horses learn that it's no big deal. That's a great. Exercise. And also that teaches
1: the babies, like, not every cone. You're not going to go through every cone. Sometimes you pass by the cones. You know, just like jumping horses. Sometimes, you know, if you're headed towards two jumps, you don't want them to think, (laughs) oh, I want to do the right one. And you're thinking, I'm going to do the left one.
4: Yes. Well, it's focus. It's your focus and their focus. Mm -hmm. But everyone Uh, needs to just take a deep breath and have fun in cones. Relax. If you, yeah. if you clutch up and overdrive, it leads it to problems. Just relax, let it flow, and practice makes perfect.
1: And, you know, I think, too, like for people starting out in combined driving or pleasure driving, and they're going to do cones, they watch other people that have done cones for years and years with experience horses, and they think they need to go that fast, right? But when you're starting out at the beginning levels or even prelim level, the time, I mean, you have to be moving forward, but you don't have to be running like a maniac. So you should get, you don't want to be the fastest one in cones. You, you have all that no. time, so you should use it.
4: Exactly. And you know what I tell the people that I help? I would rather see that you drive a clean course than make the time in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I can, we can always speed up, but what I need you to do is get accurate first then we will take the speed up. So I'm okay if somebody has some time penalties, if they drove, you know, clear on the cones, because that's the putting yourself in line, making sure your turns aren't too early. It's that kind of thinking that then makes it very easy to take the speed up.
1: Okay. So let's recap the basics. We need to,
4: <laughs> we need to, we need what? allow our horses to go forward. Yeah. Look ahead of ourselves. Take a deep breath. First thing, take a deep breath. Enjoy yeah. cones. And let cones be something natural in your training. It's not that, and mind you, we do set up whole courses and train it for time eventually. But mm-hmm. when you train on a daily basis, if there's a set of cones in the dressage ring, great. We go through it as we make a circle. We make a figure eight around it. You just make it that it is an everyday daily occurrence. Right. Well, Katie, thanks so much. That's so so much useful information,
1: and we're really looking forward to your grids that you're going to put up on your site, and then we will share that to uh, to the Horse Radio Network site.
4: Well, Perfect. It's a lot us. of fun. It's fun for the drivers and fun for the horses.
0: Now, let me get this straight. Right. You're not supposed to hit the cones, right? That's the idea.
4: Yeah, you are supposed to leave them standing okay. and those little pesky yellow balls on top. <laughs>
0: I knew i have been doing yeah, it Glenn, wrong all this remember, time.
1: Remember, like we said, drive like a girl, no balls.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> well, all right, thanks, Katie. can't fun. wait to
1: talk to you next month.
0: Okay, talk to you later. Thank you for joining us today. You can find all the past episodes of the Driving Radio Show at drivingradioshow.com. We've been doing this for a lot, a lot, a lot of years. We want to thank the American Driving Society for their support since day one. And, of course, Dr. Wendy Ying, who can be found at?
1: drwendyying.com.
0: And we're going to be back tomorrow here on Horses in the Morning with really bad ads. It's really bad ads day, so get your ads in to Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. And, of course, you can find all the shows on the Horse Radio Network on our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. There's 17 of them, so you'll have something to listen to. So, Wendy, until next month, keep the shiny
1: side up.